This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and glad you're tuning in to the Equip Podcast. I hope it's helpful to you. You know, at Cornerstone, one of the things we do is we try to do a podcast as kind of a compliment to and a help alongside of our preaching ministry. Really, we think of the preaching of the Word as kind of like the, the core diet for the church. If, if the church has grown as a healthy body, the preaching of word, the Word of God in our pulpit on Sundays is like the meat and potatoes and vitamins we need. But the podcast is kind of like medicine, where we get the chance to address contemporary topics, to try to apply scripture and wisdom to all sorts of matters. And it gives also an opportunity sometimes for me to go a little deeper into a subject than I might be able to go on a Sunday morning preaching time. And so today, we recently had a uh, kind of a sermon series where we went through the book of Daniel just a couple weeks to get a picture of what it looks like to live as a faithful presence for the good of our city. And inside one of those messages, I spent some time unpacking a kind of grid that we've used here at Cornerstone. I don't know where we picked this up. I'm sure that we got it from someplace, but it explains the way that Christians can interact with the culture around you. We call it the For the City Grid. And what this is, is imagine, I'll try to describe this visual to you on audio form here, is imagine that you have kind of a a square with four boxes inside of them. Kind of the arrow up, those on the top side of this box have a high countercultural value. The arrow over to the right in this two-by-two grid is churches that have a high cultural engagement value. And so if you had a church in the bottom left corner, that would be a church with a low distinctive Christian counterculture and also a low pursuit of cultural engagement for the common good, okay? At the upper left, we describe that, by the way, we use the terminology in the sermon. We said that's a church that's in the city, I-N, in the city. It shares the same zip code as its neighbors, but there's no distinctive way in which they're trying to engage the city with the gospel per se. On the top left, you have a church that would have a high value for Christian counterculture, but a low cultural engagement for counter common good, we'd call that church the church that's against the city. It has an antagonistic posture, a uh, even a suspicious posture toward the world around. On the bottom right, that would be a church that has low distinctive Christian moral values, but also a high desire for cultural relevance. We said that's a church that is of the city. And we use the example of really the liberal church in America that has forsaken distinctive Christian commitments to pursue cultural relevance. And then we said as a church, our goal is to be for the city. That means that we have both an unswerving commitment to the countercultural values of Jesus Christ as expressed in his word, and we have a high value and high unswerving commitment to work for the good of our neighbors, to be for the city. Now, here's what I wanted to reflect on that we just didn't get the time to reflect on very much in the sermon, which is when we look at the church in North America, and as I kind of look out five to 10 years, if you use those four categories, churches in the city, against the city, of the city, or for the city, 
I think as we look at our cultural moment in the U.S., you can see some distinct danger zones for churches in each of those categories. You can see ways that actually they could drift away from the centrality of the good news of the gospel and be kind of overtaken by other things. And so what I want to do is just reflect a little bit on that, but then also at the core of it, spend some time talking about just some of the honest concerns that I have about what it looks like for our church as we seek to be a faithful presence for Christ in our city, what are going to be the challenges to that? And so I think this this grid gives us a way to think about that. So let's first, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my fears for the church that is simply in the city. In, in this, again, remember, there's a low value on distinctive Christian teaching and doctrines and, a high, and, and really not even a super high value on being super involved in the life of the city per se. And honestly, the best example of this tends to call, come in what I would call kind of a prosperity gospel light sort of church. In this, this church, kind of preaching will avoid any sort of hard edges of cultural confrontation on sin. In fact, I don't even know if churches in this model would regularly use the word sin. They, their goal is to basically go down to the lowest common denominator and kind of say, Jesus is here to help you, and he loves you and cares for you. And so, they'll talk about a loving and a caring Jesus. Um, but in this sort of church, Jesus becomes kind of a psychotherapeutic savior. And so I think the danger zone for churches in the city is that when you have a Jesus who is there to help you with your problems and help you to figure out how to have a better life, you might not be as, you know, the full-blown prosperity gospel was the sort of thing that we saw, you know, televangelists wave hankies around where people said, hey, if you send this money in to me, I'll send you a, you know, a doily that I prayed over that can heal you. Well, that sort of manipulation, you know, and show, showmanship in the name of Jesus was so, it was so wrong that it was obviously wrong. With what I would call like prosperity gospel light, what you do here is you say, yeah, sure, you need Jesus to save you. But, you know, he, he, if you follow his ways, your life kind of will get better. And I want to help you have a little better life and be a better husband and a better dad and a superstar leader in your business. And Jesus can make you successful. That is not as obviously wrong. However, it is obviously, what I would say is it's watering down the teaching of the New Testament. It, it makes us the goal of the church, creating a big, well-attended worship service instead of crafting and discipling people into the image of Christ. And I think that there's a real danger there. I think that the danger there is a lightweight Christianity just simply doesn't have the rootedness to make it through moments of cultural conflict. It's when, in other words, churches like this will really work in places where Christianity is popular, but a psychotherapeutic Jesus who coddles you but never challenges you is very different from the message of the gospel, and it's not rooted enough to make it through hard times when the culture turns against Christianity. Even one symptom of this in the kind of in-the-city uh, posture is these churches do tend to have a much higher value on celebrity or big-name culture. Why is that? Because popularity, feeling good, you know, being a person that life is working out for is a high value. 
in that sort of church. And I just think the subculture of evangelical Christian celebrity culture, is a, it, that's a death place for the church. There's so much danger there. So there's some concerns I have for those sorts of churches. Now, what about the church? We're staying kind of down on the not a distinct Christian moral framework, but this is the next kind of mode was the church that was of the city. In this one, we described the liberal or the mainline church in the United States. I'm going to take just a bit of time to define that. When we say um, the mainline church, you you know, or liberal church, what we mean is there were historic denominations that came into the United States. Many of them brought with immigrants who came into our country and founded these churches. You have the Lutheran church denominations, um, the ELCA is one of those. There's all sorts. There were Presbyterian church denominations, the PCUSA, etc. Uh, Methodist denominations, United Methodist Church, particularly inside of that. You had Episcopalians who are like the, you know, the American version of the Church of England or the Anglicans, things like that. So all of these, they were called the mainline Protestant denominations. And if you look inside of those major denominational movements in North America, by and large, the majority of them have actually drifted away from the foundational teachings of Christianity and moved to teachings that are more in line with contemporary culture. The the movement there was they began to say something like this. As we look out at the world, the the world around us rejects supernaturalism and they reject miracles and they reject, you know, silly teachings like the virgin birth. And so in order to be actually relevant in our day, we need to actually preach a gospel that is a social gospel. It's not a gospel about the life, death, and transcendent resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Instead, it's a gospel that Jesus came to preach good news to the poor and care about people and love them. And that message will work in culture, but this old message of the supernatural Jesus won't. And so, in order to seek popularity with the culture, they moved the message of Christianity. If you want to look at this, I think actually the the best work written on it at the time was a book called Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gresham Machen. And Machen, an old Princeton theologian, uh, what he said was, he called it Christianity and Liberalism. He, He said they want to call it liberal Christianity, but it's two different things. It's not a Christianity. He said Christianity is defined by these central tenets, these central beliefs, doctrines about who Jesus is and what he did in his life. When you seek to move those teachings, you can no longer maintain the label Christian. So that's why he titled his book Christianity and Liberalism. He was making a point. This is an entirely different gospel. So, I said in my message, many of these churches, they may have a steeple on top of the physical building, but they're simply a museum that is a monument to where God used to live. They're not churches by the biblical definition of church, because a church is a gathering of people filled with God's Spirit who are preaching the message of Jesus, and that message of Jesus doesn't exist in the liberal church. My fear in this is actually, uh, we're seeing this happen right now. In another 50 years, I don't know that these denominations will even exist at all. What we've seen is a fracturing. Take United Methodists right now. Right now, the United Methodist denomination is splitting to the global Methodists, 
which are actually, by the way, biblically faithful and conservative folks, led largely by the church in Africa that is theologically conservative. And then you will have the liberal United Methodists of America that want to embrace the social gospel and the LGBTQ movement. What's going to happen inside of that, though, that is troubling for America as a country is that before, even if these churches were eroding the message of the gospel, they were still pushing forward a general morality, right? Well, who pushes forward moral foundations when these church denominations in America largely cease to exist? In 50 years, the likelihood is there will be no Episcopalian churches open in America. There will be no United Methodist churches because once you lose the distinctive message of Christianity, once you basically preach the exact same message as the culture around you, the question will come to you, why exactly would I go to church anyways? Why would I need to be part of something that's just like the culture around me? And so I think my fear is as these denominations further and further embrace uh, new social justice movements that are away from the gospel, the push of acceptance of the LGBTQ um, identity and politic, as they move further and further to embrace the erosion of foundational Christian teaching on marriage, family, ethics, sexuality, I think they will largely cease to exist. And they will leave a moral vacuum inside of communities and inside of our country. Okay, now let's talk about the fear I have for the against the church sort of posture. In this, remember, against the church, there's a high value for scripture, for a countercultural Christian distinctive morality. There's much that is to be commended in their sense of desire for faithfulness to Jesus. I largely grew up in sort of sort of inside of a fundamentalist Christian movement that would have been in this camp. And I love many of the people who are in this against the city sort of box. But I think having lived in it, I got the chance to see both some of the good and some of the not so good inside of this posture of how you engage with the culture. When your church has this posture that we're against the city, um, you use wartime sort of motifs. We're fighting a battle against the world. The world is, is the pressure that is trying to conform us into its image. And you know what? Much of that is true in the Bible. The world isn't your friend, but there's a tendency to confuse the world, the flesh, and the devil, which is this anti-God sort of way of living with actually saying everything in the physical world is evil. So, in other words, in embracing the doctrine of sin or universal sinfulness, there tends to be a downplaying of the doctrine of the goodness of creation and people made in God's image. You don't end up seeing anything redeemable or positive in the world around you. You just see us who are holy and pure and separate and the world that we need to keep away from us. So, the fear I have and what I lived inside of is that this sort of cultural antagonism and suspicion leads to Christian communities that are deeply isolated from the world around them, that begin to pull our lives and our children and our social circles completely away from people who would be, quote-unquote, worldly people. 
And it goes beyond that. Often that sort of conspiratorial posture leads you to be deeply suspicious, particularly of any sort of authorities in the world. You're deeply suspicious of government intrusion. You're deeply suspicion, suspicious of, of anything that would force worldly morality onto you. And at least in the branch of this kind of against the city fundamentalist posture that I grew up with, there tended to be a deep linking of this with a very, very literal apocalyptic reading of the book of Revelation and the end times. I I grew up consistently around it where people would say, did you see that thing that happened in the news related to Israel? This is exactly what was supposed to happen in the end. I knew it. The thing is, I've heard those things since the late 80s. I still remember, I think it was a book, was it was it 88 Reasons Jesus Will Come Back in 1988 or something like that, where they were going through the Bible and finding all sorts of reasons for why they knew the end times had come. And so, it, the fear in that is it engaged in a sort of, I could call it like newspaper exegesis. Instead of going from scripture with humility in light of the teaching of the history of the church, they went to the newspaper and said, what do I find out here that I can also find in here? And it led to a kind of unusual apocalyptic way of seeing everything that was happening in the contemporary world. Ultimately, also in this, the against the city, it's a, there's an odd tension there because in the against the city, there was also a deep-rooted American patriotism. So it was not that they were against America. They tended to have a kind of like American origin story that largely saw America as a Christian nation and a city on the hill for the world. Um, by the way, I don't actually think that's wildly off. I do think America is formed as a nation with Christian foundations and that it has been a hope for the world and a great source of freedom and liberty. But there can be, beyond just love of country, a sort of Christian nationalism that very deeply lines America and it, like in a notion, a nostalgic notion of almost a perfect America in the past with um, Christian allegiance to Christ in the present. So, in the against the city block, I think my fear is that we will move away from the centrality of the preaching of the gospel, the simple teaching of the word of God, and begin to see um, conspiratorial uh, forms in contemporary government will become overly politically polarized in this camp and largely will pull away um, into a place of cultural isolation to almost wait it out until Jesus comes. I lived inside of that. I can see that notion there. Now, okay, all of that, I'm looking at kind of things that aren't my camp. And so the last couple minutes, I want to talk about Cornerstone Church being for the city because there are all sorts of pressures inside of being a church there. Here's my, I'm going to call it my two biggest uh, concerns as I look at churches that are trying to be a faithful presence and to live for the city inside of their their town. Concern number one is actually the powerful uh, pressure of distraction. 
you know, Don Carson wrote in his book, The Cross in Christian Ministry, he said, I fear the cross without ever in danger of being denied is in constant danger of being replaced by relatively peripheral insights that have gained far too much weight. Whenever the periphery replaces the center, we're not far removed from idolatry. And what Carson means is there are all sorts of things that a church can and should care about and that Christians can and should care about that while they're important things, they're not the central thing. They're not Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, a care for working for, with mercy and compassion and justice in a local community is a good thing because the Bible tells us to love our neighbor. It, to be obedient to Scripture is not an option for the Christian, but our mission to love our neighbor in our local community isn't the central message of Christianity. The central message of Christianity is hope for sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that calls us to be part of the new kingdom that God is creating and one day will make complete when Jesus returns. That message, the call to the kingdom of God through the good news of Jesus, is the center of what makes the church the church. And we need to be careful about being distracted from the preaching of the gospel, from the discipling of people into the image of Christ, you know, by relatively peripheral social concerns. Politics do have a place in life. They're not the central place, and they're not the central place in life of the church. Figuring out what we do with schooling our children, that's certainly a very important thing to think about. It's not central so, it's important to talk about clearly what are the closed-handed issues of the gospel we must cling to and what are matters where Christians should be able to figure their way out. I think my concern in the For the City is that we can get distracted because we elevate things that while they may be important, they're not central too highly in the life of the church. And then the second thing I think is, frankly, something I've felt all through COVID time as a pastor, which is being a faithful presence is a very uncomfortable place to be because you get attacked by just about everybody, to be honest with you. Uh, your friends in the against the city camp are constantly yelling at you that you're caving to the woke social justice movement, while at the same time, people in your city are constantly yelling at you that you're bigoted and hateful. You get attacked both by angry fundamentalism and angry liberalism. And those loud screaming voices from the polls, what they do is often erode the confidence of people who are part of that church. It's not fun to be in an unpopular place. And so, when we say we want to live for the city, that feels like, oh yeah, people will love that. But in reality, being for the city means that you're going to be constantly in an, in an uncomfortable place of tension where you're wrestling with what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus, uncompromising your virtues, but yet to love people who are very, very different than you and who believe very, very different things than you do. And so my fear in some ways is, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, death by a thousand paper cuts, is that actually churches who are laboring to live for the city simply just get largely kicked at by all sides at times, and they'll become tired and they'll become discouraged in that pursuit. And so they'll try it, they'll become punchy, overly responsive to the concerns of the liberal city, overly responsive to the concerns of a fundamental against the city posture. And instead, 
What you have to do is live in that for the city space by the admonition of Peter, who tells you to put to silence foolish talk by doing good. You're going to have to see faithfulness to Christ as the central goal of life. So there's some reflections off that for the city grid. And as you look out at kind of the church in North America, it might help you to make some sense of the landscape of what you see. But I hope also it just reminds you, being a faithful presence isn't always a place that it's going to be culturally comfortable or easy to be. It's a place we go to because obedience calls us to that, not necessarily because popularity does. And so I hope that we can live in Cornerstone in some way, that is some small way, a city on a hill, a place that is a display of the countercultural values of the kingdom of Jesus, but also a place that's unswervingly committed to love our neighbors. And I pray that God would bless us as we seek His glory in doing that.